grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. season and celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and we do so especially hearing from the pulpit the beautiful words that were sung and spoken uh, before the very Lord himself by the heavenly choir. Our first lesson for this third Sunday of Easter is found recorded in the book of Acts chapter 9 beginning at the first verse. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the disciples' people. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue of Damascus, so that if he found any man, men or women belonging to the way, he might bring them to Jerusalem as prisoners. As he went on his way and was approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? He replied, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you need to do. The men traveling with him stood there speechless. They heard the voice but did not see anyone. They raised Saul up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see anything. They took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. For three days he could not see, and he did not eat or drink. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord told him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. In fact, at this very moment, he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so he can regain his sight. Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many. I've heard from many people about this man and how much harm he did to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. The Lord said to him, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the people of Israel. Ananias left and entered the house. Laying his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, whom you saw on your way here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. And he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. This Saul later changed his name to Paul. This is the Apostle Paul. But these words are the words of the Lord. Our second lesson, which will also serve as the basis for our sermon this morning, is found recorded in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, beginning at verse 11. And this is St. John speaking. 
And I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels who were around the throne and around the living creatures and the elders. Their number was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands upon thousands. With a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I also heard every creature that is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders bowed down and worshipped. This is the word of the Lord. We read from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, beginning at verse 1. After this, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. This is how he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They replied, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus was standing on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus called to them, Boys, don't you have any fish? No, they answered. He told them, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast the net out. Then they were not able to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard, It is the Lord, he tied his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, dragging the, full, the net full of fish. For they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they stepped out on land, they saw some bread and, and a charcoal fire with fish on it. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you just caught. So Simon Peter climbed aboard and hauled the net to land full of large fish, 153 of them. Yet even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, eat breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and also the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the gospel. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is found recorded in Revelation chapter 5 beginning at the 11th verse. I'd like to read these beautiful words once again. And I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels who were around the throne and around the living creatures and the elders. Their number was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands upon thousands. With a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I also heard every creature that is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, 
to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders bowed down and worshipped. This is the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ and heirs of everlasting life, a few years ago, I wrote a special New Year's Eve service that was called Lessons and Favorite Hymns. And if you remember, and many of you participated, I handed out a slip of paper and, and took a survey asking people to write down their name and their favorite hymn. And I had more people with the problem of that survey. Now, it isn't like our church isn't intelligent where you can't write down your name and write down a favorite hymn, but I had so many requests coming from people saying, uh, Pastor, can I put down more than one? No, you can only put one. That's what the directions say. It's got to be your favorite one. Many people were actually getting rather upset. I can't put down a favorite one because I have more than one. And isn't that the truth? Is there really one hymn or, or even one song in your entire life that you'll say that this is my most favorite one? I bet you have a favorite one at Christmas time and a favorite one at Easter time and, and even for all the different seasons of the church year. There really is no such thing as just one favorite one. But I will say this this morning that the song that we're hearing or that we're seeing from the words in our text is really the most favorite one. Yes, it really is. In fact, the title of this sermon is, This is the Sweetest Music You Have Ever Heard. And really for three great reasons. One is, to whom is doing the singing or who is doing the singing, to whom are they singing, and where they're singing, that makes this song such a great song, and really not even compared to any other. We don't have the tune, tune, we do not have the music and any of the notes, but we do have the words. And the words were sung in heaven itself, and not just any place in heaven, sang in the throne room, of God himself. In fact, the Apostle John, who received this revelation from the Lord, is taken by the Lord uh, to see this in a vision. And what we have here are earthly words describing events taking place in heaven. And what John is seeing is awesome, and it is wonder above beyond wonder. In the chapter right before, uh, or a couple chapters right before, we actually hear of the Lord Jesus' response to, with seven different letters to seven different churches. But now John is taken in this vision to see the throne room of the Savior himself. And the most important furniture in this throne room is the throne. But not just because it is so beautiful and so wonderful, but rather uh, because of who is sitting on this throne. 
And yes, it is God sitting on the throne. And we always speak of God as he revealed himself in his holy word as one God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in particular, it is spoken of the Son. He is called the Lamb. John the Baptist called him the Lamb. Oh, John the Baptist would refer to Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here the Lamb is called the one who is slain, the one who has died, the one who has paid for our sins, given his life for the sins of the world. And this is something he has done. His work is completed. It is finished. And John is seeing the Lord in his victorious state. Remember how he humbled himself in order to, in order to uh, suffer and die on the cross for the sins of the world? How he did not make full and constant use of his divine power and glory? Well, now he's making full and constant use of it. He's in his exalted state. And John is getting to see that in this vision. Around that throne, closest to the throne, we're told are the living creatures. But they're called here specifically the four living creatures. And in the chapter before, they're described in a very similar way as Ezekiel described the living creatures. And very similar to how Isaiah described the living creatures. But in Ezekiel, he called them cherubim. In Isaiah, he called them seraphim. And I've always taken the cherubim and the seraphim to be the royal guard who was closest to the throne of God. That's the four living creatures. Around them is the 24 elders. And the 24 elders, remembering that 12 is oftentimes used as the number of the church, we have the 12 tribes of Israel from the Old Testament. From the New Testament, we have the 12 apostles. Even Jesus said to the apostles that they would be sitting on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And what does John see? He sees 24 elders sitting on thrones clearly representing the Old and the New Testament believers. This is the sum of all believers. We would call this the Holy Christian Church. Around them, really furthest away from the throne, angels, thousands upon thousands, myriad of angels, 10,000 times 10,000 angels. And they were singing. They couldn't help but sing. In fact, they sang with a loud voice for all to hear because what they have to say is for all to hear. They said, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy and deserving is this one, our God, the very Savior God himself, to receive what they just announced. But wait a minute. 
If he's the son of God, then he would have all this already. But keep in mind, he's still the son of man. He never gave up his humanity when he sent it back into heaven. Remember the angel will, angels will tell the, the disciples on the same Jesus you saw go up into heaven. He will come back one day in the same way. And it was Jesus who, after his resurrection, would tell the apostles that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So as the Son of Man, he was given all the authority that he truly had as the Son of God and still has. And what has he received? You can divide these seven words into two sections, the first four words and the last three. The first four words deal with his attributes. The last three deal with what he truly deserves from us all. Concerning his attributes, we hear of power and strength, and immediately I think of this is the very Son of God, our Almighty God, who is all-powerful. He could create things out of nothing. He's the one who could take on human flesh in order to pay for our sins, doing the impossible, which was exactly what he did in order to save us and pay the debt for those sins, suffering the punishment, which is death itself. But when I hear the word power, I immediately think of the, past, the Apostle Paul's words, when he described the gospel as the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. The Greek word is dynamis, and that's where we get our English word dynamite from. That's the good news of Jesus. And then to be called riches? Well, he, he was rich. The glories of heaven is rich. Don't think of rich as what you can put a money value on. Think of riches as that which you cannot put a value on. It's, it's wonder upon wonders. And our very Lord, who was rich, as the Apostle Paul will even write in one of his letters, the very one who is rich and had the glories of heaven became poor, taking on humanity, taking on human flesh. So that we who are poor and poor because of sin and the fear of death might become rich with the hope of the forgiveness of sins that he won for us on the cross. And then when I hear of the word wisdom, this is the Lord who is omniscient. He is all-knowing because he sees everything. He knows the number of hairs on your head, and he can see in places that we ourselves cannot even see, our very own hearts. Yes, this is the Son of God who deserves honor and glory and blessing. Honor deals with status. He deserves the highest of all statuses. He is the name that is above every name. He is the one who is called glory and, and deserves to be called glory and to receive glory, which deals with credit. We can't, when it comes to our salvation, take credit for it. He gets all the credit. <coughs> and when it comes to blessing, 
It literally means good words. All the most glorious words you could ever come up with. That is what he deserves. And deserves from us. Who saved us all. One thing I have to say about this beautiful song is even though this is going to seem like, well, it's obvious, Pastor, but it deserves to be said that the one they're singing to is alive. Yes, he was slain. Yes, he gave his life on the cross, but he didn't remain in the grave. His body did not see decay. He rose from the dead. His resurrection means he truly is the Son of God. His resurrection means that our sins truly have been paid in full. His resurrection means that there is life after death because he lives. We too shall live, knowing that we have the forgiveness of sins through faith in Christ alone. And the other thing that has to be said is that this choir is alive. These are not people who are zombies. Zombies don't even exist. <coughs> These are not corpses. These are people who are alive and alive in heaven, singing to the very one who has made them alive because he lives. Oh, what comfort it is for us to know that death is not the end of life, but it is a beginning to a new life, that there is life after death. And what comfort it is to know that our loved ones who have gone before us, we can honestly say they're not dead and gone, but instead they have beat us home. Because the Lamb who sits on the throne lives. Now the living creatures are involved. And notice these living creatures. They are, they are the ones in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sky and all that is in them. I take the living creatures as all animals, all of God's creation being personified. And they too can't keep quiet. They too have to cry out with a loud voice. And notice, there's no talk of evolution here. There's no talk of, of mutants and evolving over time and millions and billions of years. When we speak of creatures in the original language, it means those who have been created, and we know who created them. God himself. All of creation crying out, Blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. They're saying almost the same thing that the angels were saying, but they added these words, forever and ever. That these, that these glorious words are to be spoken for, to our God, and they are to be spoken, and it is to never end. Forever and ever emphasizes the fact that where there's the forgiveness of sins, there is the sure hope of everlasting life. And in eternity, there is no beginning and end. 
the, living, the four living creatures, when they heard the choir singing, they responded, Amen. And Amen just doesn't mean that what they said was true. It doesn't mean that what they said is the truth. No, what they said is the absolute truth. And anything contrary to that would be a lie. And the Holy Christian Church, the elders, they bowed down and worshipped. And the word worship here, there's a number of words in the Greek language, but the one being used here literally means to kiss before. It's a word that actually paints a picture of someone who falls down before the king and prostrates themselves before the king and kisses their feet or, or, or maybe the lower part of their robe. They humble themselves before the king because they know that they're not the great and glorious ones. They, they know that the one they bow before, he is the deserving of all the credit and honor and glory and praise and blessing. And it reminds us what worship really is, even today. As we too fall down before the Lord with humble and repentant hearts, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, trusting in the forgiveness that he won for me on the cross. Look at the beauty of being able to gather together and, and to all join together in singing and praying and hear the word of God and hear the preaching of the word of God. Please don't get caught up by Satan's temptations and be consumed by Satan's lies of feeding our own selfishness in thinking that worship is boring, that I'd rather sleep in. There's more other important things to do that I can't make time for it or I don't want to make time for it. Besides, I believe in God anyway. Isn't that good enough? That's not worship. The opportunity to gather together together around God's holy word is a privilege and honor in and of itself. But to do it focusing on who really matters, the one who sits on the throne. In other words, please see and understand that as we gather for worship, we're gathering together knowing what we're going to be doing in heaven. It's like a touch of heaven. Because in heaven we will be worshiping the Lord. And the Lord deserves all honor and glory and blessing forever and ever. We join those four living creatures in saying, Amen. This is the sweetest song, the sweetest music you will ever hear. And that is an the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to a sermon podcast from Salem Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have any further questions or would like to learn more about Salem Lutheran, and its ministry, please check out our website at www.salemevlutheran.com.
www.wordpress.org. Once again, that is www.salemevluthern.org. May God bless you today and every day.